You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waived, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. That plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning, as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to 2024. Can you imagine we're here? It's 2024. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcasting on your community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. You can access the program by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, my name is Joseph Toscana. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. Not without rules. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Inequalities of power and wealth. The anarchist struggle has never changed. Obviously, strategies change, but the end point hasn't changed. It's about creating a society, as I said, that decreases the power of rulers and holds wealth in common. It's about devolving power, that sharing power, possibly through direct democratic means. Now, these are very simple concepts which human beings have held dear to themselves for generations, thousands of years. Whether we succeed or don't succeed in creating a society without rulers is irrelevant. What's relevant is the struggle to create that society. Now, 2024, what can we say about 2024? Well, it's just started. What else can we say? Well, I think when we do a program about 2024, we should be looking about what we'd like to see happen in 2024. Now, obviously, there's different things that we can uh, see happening, and uh, what happens to a significant degree is determined by us. I know that's a pretty radical concept that you and me have the capacity to change the course of history. I know that seems very radical to you, especially in 2024, when most of our autonomy or ability to make decisions has been taken over by centralised governments and authority, 
we, you begin, we begin to realise that, um, you know, that uh, we do have power. Because if you look at human history, and human history is an interesting thing, human history isn't a linear progression. I mean, people win rights, they lose rights. They win power, they lose power. They win access to resources, they lose access to resources. And democracy, as most people think, isn't rule of the people, by the people, for the people. The forgotten sentence to that little adage, rule of the people, by the people, for the people, is by an engaged public. And in 2024, we have become spectators to our own oppression. We watch, we know, but we don't do anything because we feel powerless. And that's the name of the game in 2024, power. Powerlessness is the aphrodisiac of the ruling classes. Those that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Those that set the political agenda on a day-to-day basis. They want you to feel powerless. They want you to leave the decision-making processes to the individuals and institutions which have been created to make decisions. The only problem is, as citizens of this continent, we have forgotten. That's right. We have forgotten that little phrase, an engaged public. Most of us tend to be members of, as I keep saying, the two greatest tribes in Australia since colonisation began in 1788. The Gunner tribe, I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this. And even an even bigger tribe, the somebody should do something about that tribe. Now, I know so many people who ring me up who are part of the somebody should do something about that tribe. They're everywhere. Yeah. Somebody should do something about that tribe. So, what are we going to do? Because when the institutions that are there, that are there theoretically to protect our interests, have been subverted, what can we do? When the resources that are on this continent have been given away to private interests, what can we do? And that's the key. What can we do? What can we do? Well, we can surf the net. We can get lost in YouTube. We can pace up and down the room. We can go for a walk. We can grow vegetables. We can watch things on pay TV. We can become a gamer. 
And that's the problem, isn't it? So many options. So many options. Reminds me of the old Roman Empire, not that I'm that old, although some days I feel that old. The old Roman Empire, the old bread and circuses mantra that get people in power, that kept those who exercise power in power. The trouble is in 2024, we have a lot of circuses, many of them you don't pay anything for, like the good old days, like when you went to the Colosseum as a plebeian for nothing, 246 days a year out of 365 days. I wonder what you did in the other 99 days. A lot of diversions in life caught up in our own little family affairs, our own little hobby. Maybe we collect dance. Maybe we're an expert on esoteric 1962 films. Who knows what our hobbies are. Maybe we're super gamers and we've spent 10 years trying to master a game and finally mastered it and then found out that there's another game following this game and there's another game. The reality is, if you're not engaged, nothing changes. If you look at all the reforms that have occurred in human history, the revolutions, the reforms, they've all occurred because somebody somewhere has said enough is enough and has been willing to put their head above the parapet has been willing to say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And that single act has actually, how shall I put it, has actually encouraged other people. That's right. Encouraged other people to join them. And join that struggle. So what are the struggles that I'm interested in? You may not be interested, that I'm interested in 2024. Now, as I said before, anarchism is about sharing power, sharing wealth. So I'm interested in being involved in struggles that don't divide us. That's the first thing. And if you listen to 2023 and you're going to listen to 2024, you'll find that division is the name of the game. The loyal opposition, His Majesty's loyal opposition under Mr Peter Dutton, is very, very, very keen to widen the rifts which exist in Australian society. Whether it's based on your skin colour, your culture, your gender your sexual orientation, you name it. Create fear, exploit fear. They've got no policies except the policies that exploit fear and division in the community. Now, it may be a very good short-term political strategy, but in terms of creating a united country, it's a total disaster. Total disaster. So you can be, you know, drawn towards these struggles. You think the other is your problem. You think the person who wears a funny hat or the person who hasn't got any shoes 
Or the person is on a social security benefit or the person whose skin colour is different is your enemy. And we can fight amongst each other. The 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication just shrugs their shoulders and brushes off a few more breadcrumbs from the corporate table so we can fight amongst ourselves for those breadcrumbs. Yeah, but what they forget is we are not interested in the breadcrumbs they brush off the corporate table. What we're interested in is soaring a leg off the table. I've never seen many three-legged tables stand upright. And that's what we're about. We're about holding those that exercise power to account, not through working up the right channels, which is a waste of time, but by extra parliamentary direct action. If a few of us are involved, we're just considered to be troublemakers. But if we're able to attract more and more people to what we're saying, we become a threat. And it's only when those elements in Parliament are more frightened of the people than their political masters, who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, that we will find ourselves in a much more powerful position. So in 2024, you do have options. We all have options. We can grow our tomatoes and, you know, shrug our shoulders. We can become a gamer. We can do another PhD. We can travel overseas. We can have a few more kids, you know. There's all these options. But ultimately, the type of life you lead and the type of life your children lead and the type of life your grandchildren lead is dependent on political decisions. It's one thing working for a charity as a volunteer and improving the lives of 10, 20, 100, 1,000 people. Obviously, you've done something positive. But it's another thing to put enough pressure on a government to change legislation which will change the lives of millions of people, as we saw with the introduction of the social security system in the 1940s, as we saw with the introduction of a universal health care, universal health insurance scheme. That was Medibank in those days, in 1973. As we've seen with legislation regarding childcare. You can work all your life for a charity or create your own charity and make a small difference to those around you or you can get involved in political action which changes government's legislative agendas. So one of the things that I think are important in 2024, well, the first thing I think is important is the way to approach the loss of the voice referendum. 
Now, obviously, the loss of the voice referendum destroyed any momentum towards a treaty of truth-telling. In my opinion, it set back the Indigenous movement two generations. Not only did it set us back towards reconciliation and treaty, but what it did is actually isolate many, many supporters because of the divisions which existed in the black community regarding the voice referendum. Considering the overwhelming support for a voice to parliament in the Uluru Statement in 2017, it's extraordinary the amount of publicity those elements in the black community were able to generate who were against a voice to parliament. I think many of these activists didn't really realise what a defeat would actually mean for treaty, you know, a significant treaty and truth-telling. No government will go down that path after the loss of that referendum. There's no political advantage, none whatsoever. So how do we, as a people, how do we as activists help to regenerate that interest despite the loss of the voice referendum. Now, one simple way is to become involved in the Tanaminawai and Morbohina commemoration. So what's the Tanaminawai and Morbohina commemoration? In 2006, the Anarchist Men Institute discovered, in inverted commas, obviously other people have known this for decades, but the majority of people in Victoria didn't know, or Australia, discovered that Tanaminaway and Mulbulhina, two Aboriginal activists from Van Diemen's Land, were executed on the 20th of January 1842 for actively resisting white colonisation. It's a very sad story, and I'll go through it. But again, we're going to need a little bit of help. So what happened is, when Tasmania was first colonised in 1803 by Lieutenant Collins, who Collins Street in Melbourne is named after, a 30-plus, a 33-year war began between the colonisers and the original inhabitants, five different tribal groups in Tasmania. And by the end of that 30-year war, in the mid-1830s, 324 survivors of a Holocaust which saw the destruction of a people that had been on that Ireland for over 60,000 years, reduced from a population of around 15 to 20,000 to 324 individuals. These 324 individuals were transported to Flinders Island. And within three years, most of them had died. 89 survived. 
1841. And in 1841, George Augustus Robinson, the man who'd been paid a bounty for eradicating First Nations people from Tasmania and remove them to Flinders Island, was paid a $1,000 bonus. And he felt it was time to expand his empire into the illegal settlement which had been set up by Tasmanians, Van Diemenlandians, in Melbourne in 1836. And he offered his blacks, the 89 survivors, to Governor Gipps to civilise the Victorian blacks. Now, Governor Gipps was a little bit wary of uh, Mr Robinson's entrepreneurial activities and eventually agreed to allow him and four Aboriginal servants to accompany him to the, the city of Melbourne. Now, Mr Robinson, full of his own importance, took 17 of the 89 survivors with him to Melbourne in 1841 in a misguided attempt to civilise the Victorian blacks. Now, unfortunately for Mr Robertson, Governor Gibbs was a little bit pissed off by all this and refused to give any rations to the extra 13 Aboriginal men and women that accompanied Robertson to Melbourne. And within a year, despite the appointment of four Aboriginal protectors in Victoria, the whole shebang fell apart. Five, that's right, five of the 17 took to the bush, went down to Dandenong, and the Mornington Peninsula. That was Tanaminaway. A young man who was a survivor of a massacre that occurred on Robbins Island in northwest Tasmania in the 1820s when the, uh, the land there was given over to a, a corporation which continues to exist in Tasmania today, believe it or not. When I went there a few years ago trying to go to Robbins Island, I found out it was all off-limits. Off-limits, private property. But that's a different story. Morboyhina was a survivor from the central highlands. With him, with these two men, three Aboriginal women absconded. There was Planobina, Putirana and Truganini. Now, everybody's familiar with Truganini, but nobody remembers Planobina or Putirana. They took to the bush. They uh, started a guerrilla struggle against colonisation, hoping the Victorian blacks would join them. They had been the victims of 30 years of direct oppression. They understood the consequences of colonisation. They attempted to drive squatters off their properties in Dandenong and the Mornington Peninsula. It was a very humane war they carried out, considering what had happened to them. Uh, 
They usually surrounded a hut, evicted the women and children, and men burnt down the huts, took the guns and provisions, forcing people to flee to the city of Melbourne. Eventually, a motley crew of uh, police, soldiers, bounty hunters, squatters cornered them in the Mornington Peninsula and although they fired into the camp, they missed every single one of them except I think Planet Bean who had a little graze on her forehead. They were taken to Melbourne in late 1841. The three women were freed. The two men were found guilty after a uh, the jury uh, found guilty of a murder after the jury deliberated for about 30 minutes, although they weren't able to testify on their own behalf because Aboriginal people were not allowed to testify. Interestingly, Redmond Barry, the same Redmond Barry that uh, sentenced Ned Kelly to hang in 1818, the same Redmond Barry that was involved in the failed treason post-Eureka treason trials, trials was the defender. He was the public defender. And he um, conducted a spirited defence on their behalf, claiming that the because there'd been no treaty entered into with the original inhabitants, that the British Empire had no authority over them. Now, Judge Willis, a judge who many thought to be scoffed, who was Australia's first court, uh, first Supreme Court judge, who was sent to Victoria as punishment by Governor Gipps because of his erratic behaviour on the Supreme Court in New South Wales, sentenced both men to death and said, this is about terror. It's not about justice, it's about creating terror in the Aboriginal community so that they will not resist colonisation. And they were publicly executed on the 20th of January, 1842. What's that, 182 years ago? And you're thinking to yourself, what's all this crap got to do with me, you know? It's 182 years ago. Well, think about it. Now, in 2002, I first came across the story. In 2004, the Anarchist Institute began to hold commemorations, so this makes our 20th anniversary. And after a 15-year struggle, we were able to... uh, forced the Melbourne City Council to erect a monument to Tanaminaway Melbourne at the very site they were executed at the corner of Victoria and Franklin Street in Melbourne, across the road from the old Melbourne jail, you know, near the gate there. So why commemorate the execution? Well, you see, most of the dispossession that occurred in Victoria and the rest of Australia was secret killings. Smallpox encrusted blankets, poison in the flower, massacres in the dead of night, and a population of over a hundred thousand was in Victoria was reduced to less than two thousand within ten years of the colonisation process, and most of it, most of the deaths occurred underground. Because you see, there were elements in British society which found what was happening in the colonies a little bit despicable. And the Mile Creek Massacre, where the British government forced the governor to retry shepherds who were responsible for the Mile Creek Massacre, which resulted in the hanging of seven of them, 
um, highlighted what would happen. So what's the point of all this? Well, you see, it's interesting, isn't it? Most of us know more about Geronimo and Sitting Bull and all those uh, so-called Red Indians, you know, Native Americans in North America than we actually know about resistance in Australia. And that's part of the, what we call the, um, you know, the justification processes. The thing about Tanaminoa Morbohin is they were hung according to the law of the land for resisting white colonisation. Now, if you want to know more about this story, I encourage you to either look at the Tunnamall site, Tunna, T-U-N-N-E-R, Mall, M-A-U-L, Facebook page, and there's the whole history which I've documented. Or you can go to josephtoscana.nam and look at the first presentation on pivotal moments Australian radical history. So 2000, since 2004, we've been holding smallish commemorations. And once again, we'll be holding a commemoration in 2024. But the difference is that this year it's on a Saturday. So it's an excellent way for families to bring children to understand what happened on that day to understand the significance of the colonisation process and, most importantly, to remember. And that's why the program we actually, uh, the political actions we took were under the slogan, Lest We Forget. Lest We Forget, which is the slogan about World War I, World War II and all the other wars Australia has fought overseas lest we forget. And the thing is, you can't have reconciliation without remembering. And even more importantly, who honours on a national day all those Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander men, women and children who died during the colonisation process and who continue to bear the scars of that process. When you look at every available indicator between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians, you see, the, you see the gap and why the gap is there. How it's a legacy of a colonisation process which continues. But to me, and the Tanaminoe Morbo Hine Commemoration Committee, which was established in 2006, although commemorations began in 2004, it's about remembering these men and women on a special day. We remember when the colonisation process began on the 26th of January. Some people call it Invasion Day. Some people call it Survival Day. Some people call it Australia Day. We remember all the men and women that sacrificed their lives in wars overseas and continue to sacrifice their lives in wars overseas, many of which have nothing to do with Australia's security. During Anzac Day, but the loss of the voice referendum meant that that momentum which was being created and those supporters that were being generated have now, to a significant degree, lost focus. And my belief is, and it's only a belief, that the 20th of January should be put aside as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Freedom Fighters Day. Many of these people are unnamed. 
some are named. Now, when we began the process to get this monument erected, which was a 10-year battle, we wanted people to use their traditional names, Tanaminawai and Mōbōhina. This is not just about remembering the past. This is about creating a pathway outside the parliamentary sphere to acknowledge all those men, women and children who died during that colonisation process, to give them a special day, to allow ceremonies across the nation to be held on every offshore island, in every state, in every territory, acknowledging the brutality of that colonisation process. So as convener of the Tanaminawai Mulbohina Commemoration Committee and one of the few surviving members of the original committee, I encourage you to come along if you are in Melbourne, midday, we start midday sharp on the 20th of January 2024 for an hour ceremony at the hanging site at which there is now a monument Please bring flowers. Please bring flowers with you. The first hour of the ceremony will be uh, broadcast live on Community Radio 3CR, and it'll be podcast. It will be um, broadcast live. You can go to 3cr.org.au from midday to 1 p.m. on Saturday. That's right, Saturday the 20th of January, and then after the commemoration, we will walk down silently to the old Victoria Market, to the site where we believe their bodies are buried, to conduct a second ceremony to which you're all invited. I mean, it's a family-friendly day. It's about people understanding what happened. It's about acknowledging the past. And more importantly, it's about acknowledging all those men, women and children who died and who continue to die resisting the colonisation process. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This is the first program for 2024. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Let's move on. I mean, I could talk about this and... At Norsium, but the best thing to do is just pop along on the 20th. If you can't pop along, listen to the first hour of the ceremony on Community Radio 3CR. 8.55 on the AM dial, three, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That means all our interstate listeners can also tune in if they wish. All right, let's move on. Because, you see, hope... People say, why have you been broadcasting the anarchist world this week in various guises since 1977? Don't you feel depressed that nothing has changed? Well, first of all, I'm not depressed, and things do change. I remember what life was like here in the 1960s and 1970s, and there have been major changes. Although many of these changes are enacted via legislation, most of this legislation would not have occurred without a push from below. 
it's extra-parliamentary activity which shapes parliamentary legislation. And although we are not in a revolutionary situation, we do find ourselves in a situation where reform is becoming more and more necessary. Reforms to overcome the widening gap in Australian society, not just economically, but the widening rifts which have been exploited by the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and their political puppets to divide us as a community and stop us looking at the fundamental reasons, the fundamental reasons why 25 million people living on a resource-rich continent continue to find themselves fighting and struggling against the same problems over and over and over and over again. That's the issue. And while we continue to sing from the same song sheet, we will continue to achieve the same results, which is no change. The fact is that the song sheet needs to be rewritten. New songs need to be sung. And the only ones that can do that are us. That's right. You and me. Little you and me. Because we are the people we've been waiting for. For far too long, and Australians are a classical example, not just Australians, but people all over the world, for far too long we continue to wait for other people. We continue to wait for our religious leaders, our secular leaders, our political leaders to do the right thing by us. The fact is, human history is littered with examples of political, social and cultural movements which have been destroyed because we have relied on other people to do it for us. Now change, especially change against entrenched authority, and that's what we have in 2024, entrenched powerful interests. Interests that have subverted the very institutions which were theoretically created to look after our basic human needs. We have an entrenched economic order, an entrenched political order, And most importantly of all, we have an entrenched mindset. That's right, an entrenched mindset amongst us as citizens and permanent residents that change is impossible. And radical change is totally out of the question. The dilemma is, if you want change, you not only need those individuals in society, like here on this program, who put out different ways of looking at issues which don't accept the status quo. And the status quo in our society is very simple. It's about putting private 
investment for private profit above human need. We have subverted this continent in such a way as not only to exploit this country's First Nations people and continually to exploit them, but we have subverted the philosophy that this country was based on over and over again. For far too long we have believed the propaganda that this is a land of opportunity. For far too long we have believed the propaganda that everybody is equal and the list goes on and on. You just need to look around you to see what those who exercise power think of you. Because ultimately, and I hate to say this, and I did say it in 2023 and I'll say it in 2024, the losers in Australian society are those of us who act ethically, who pay our taxes, who obey the law, and who wait for our ultimate reward. In the good old days, it was six feet under. The trouble is funerals are so expensive today that about 85% of Australians get cremated, so you don't, even get, you don't inherit six foot of the earth when you die anymore. That was a 19th century concept. Sorry for the uh, nasty joke. But that's the dilemma, isn't it? It is a nasty joke. It is a nasty joke to live in a society with childhood poverty. Is is a nasty joke in a society where we've got 35,000 charities raising money for various issues which should be tackled by government. It is a nasty joke to see so many people struggling to pay, you know, for basic necessities. It is a nasty joke to see how those who wrought the system escalate in terms of their fortunes and, and more importantly, in the eyes of the world. Because, you see, we seem, as a people, we seem to have forgotten what's important. We seem to have forgotten what's important. We think what is important is related to a significant degree to how many resources we have and how much power we're able to exercise. We have forgotten that social cohesion, and that's the key, social cohesion is totally dependent on decreasing inequalities in power and wealth in society. Totally dependent. And although there are political forces in this country aided and abetted by the corporate-owned media and to a lesser extent the government girl did ABC, and, and asocial media, I don't want to use the word social for, for them, the asocial media tycoons that are basically created to exploit us in order to maximise their returns and power. And that's the key, power. Their ability to determine our lives and our fate. Especially when you have governments which we theoretically elect which sing from the same song sheet as the corporate sector. 
I know it's pretty tedious, me talking about privatisation and corporatisation and globalisation and deregulation, but they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They are the very elements which have been promoted in Australian society, which we have accepted willy-nilly, which have now created the situation we find ourselves in, where our children's future and their children's future has been almost fatally compromised. Now, I'm a great believer in hope. So what's hope? You need to define what hope is. What is hope? Hope is the love child of desire and expectation. It's something that springs eternal, they say. Hope springs eternal. It's the love child of desire and expectation. The desire for change and the expectation that change will occur. That's what hope is. Now, when you become so enmeshed in the system that you think resistance is useless and you lose hope, you become part of that system. Cynicism, as I keep saying, is the aphrodisiac of those who exercise power. That is their aphrodisiac. And they want you to believe that change is impossible. They want you to believe that there's no point fighting City Hall. You're going to lose. But human history is full of examples of people who've actually said, no, we don't believe that. We have hope. We have the desire for change and, more importantly, the expectation that change will occur, must occur. And that's what political struggle is about. Charity is about helping a small number of people for a short period of time. Political change is about changing the fortunes of millions of people through political action. And political action is not just restricted to casting a ballot every three to four years, a ballot which in many cases manipulated by elements in society that have resources to dominate the electoral process. And that's what it's about, those resources to dominate the electoral process. I remember that in 1977, I was involved in a campaign for decentralised energy systems. And it breaks my heart to see in 2024 that the struggle to decrease greenhouse emissions has become a struggle to establish centralised, corporate-owned, renewable energy systems which are partially financed through the taxpayer, through corporate welfare. What's the point of replicating the same energy system which makes us hostages to war, to natural disasters? What we should be doing in 2024 is arguing and fighting for not just renewable energy, but decentralised energy systems which are controlled by the public. 
not unaccountable corporations. And as you know, every time a public asset is privatised and the renewable energy sector is a privatised industry, every time that occurs is the citizens, the people, lose the power to control that entity. And if there's one thing privatisation has taught us over the last 50 years, is not only do we lose the capacity to generate resources for the Treasury through successful public enterprises, but we lose the capacity to actually influence the direction those public enterprises go through our ability as citizens to direct government policy. Think about it. You want renewable energy? We all want renewable... Well, most of us want renewable energy. Do you want centralised renewable energy? Decentralised renewable energy? Do you want it publicly owned, privately owned? So what's the point of going down the same pathway time and time again and repeating the same mistakes? I mean, I think a big policy I'd like to see in 2024 is a push for compulsory acquisition of our natural resources with no compensation. And I'll tell you why no compensation. Because most of our natural resources are owned by a small number of corporations, some multinational, some transnational. They've made enough profit over the years from these exploration you know, tickets we give them. They've made enough profits. It's about time the profits, all the profits, went back to First Nations people and ourselves to try to resolve some of the problems we have. And if you raise the idea of compulsory nationalisation without compensation, the look of horror, the look of horror that crosses their faces is, is incredible. I mean, do we give them the power to exploit our resources, First Nations people resources, for all eternity, for a pittance in return? And when they finish, they leave a big hole for us to fill up or leave empty? Or do we say enough is enough? To me, this is one of the main issues of 2024. How do we raise resources to look after the essential needs of the people of this country. How do you do it? As I said before, another thing I'm very interested in promoting in 2024 is the introduction of a universal basic income through a 1% financial transaction tax. 1%. It's nothing. 1% on every financial transaction over $5,000, excluding first home buyers. 1%. Nothing. Would raise enough resources for a universal basic income. Would help to eradicate many of the problems we face today. It's not a question of not having the wealth. It's a question of political will. It's a question of what is important. It's a question about what we are willing to tolerate. It's a question of how much effort we want to put into that, pro those programs for 
social, political, cultural change. That's what it's about. Millions of people over the decades, over hundreds of years, thousands of years, have perished, perished, fighting for these issues. And millions more will perish. Well, it is very hard to break down entrenched power. What's even harder is to ensure that that entrenched power doesn't return. And that's been the history of revolutions over the years, over the decades, hundreds of years. That human talent that's released to resolve the issues we face becomes subverted by centralised forces who want to control that radical, revolutionary, reformist process for their own ends. People who think they have the only ones of solutions. And that's the great battle we face. It's not just a battle of breaking down the power of those that have entrenched power. It's not just a battle of ensuring that wealth is held in common, but it's a battle to ensure that the hierarchical divisions which exist and the centralisation of wealth which exists is no longer part and parcel of human history. And the fact is, you can change human history. You have the capacity to change human history. You are the only one who can change that human history. And as long as we think, as a people and as individuals, that change is impossible, that you can't change City Hall, nothing will change. I'd like to thank you for continuing to listen to the Anarchist World this week in 2024. It's been a pleasure broadcasting over the last 47 years. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day whether you succeed or not. What matters is the journey. The fact that you're part of the journey. You're part of the solution to the problem, not the problem itself. And to actively refuse to become involved makes you part of the problem. So welcome to 2024. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Hopefully you'll listen for the rest of the year. But more importantly, we can all listen, we can all watch. More importantly, it's time to become involved. If you say to yourself, I can't become involved because I'm too young, I'll do it when I'm older. When you're old, you've got too many responsibilities. I'll do it when I retire. When you retire, you're too sick. And before you know it, you'll be dead. And the key is, now is the time to become involved. Look around you, see what's happening, get involved. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week, and I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, PIBCI, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. As I said before, I can talk till the cows come home and the sacred cows have come back, but ultimately you are the engine driver to radical reform. Listen in next week to the Anarchist World This Week. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death.
death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.